welcome to the Her Sports Story podcast. Former athletes, if that's you out there, you have found the right place. In this podcast, we interview phenomenal former female athletes on their journeys out of sport and into the next chapters of their lives, chasing their dreams while always still embodying the athlete mindset. Because I think once we're an athlete, we're always an athlete. I'm your host, Bethany Crouch, former competitive and collegiate gymnast of 15 years turned athlete advocate professional, and I'm so happy you're here. Please engage with this community on Instagram at HerSportsStory, and enjoy the show. Sports Story listeners, welcome back. I'm so happy you're here because today we have a special interview with Vicki Heldrick Durand, who shares the story of her mother, Betty Pembroke Heldrick, a Hawaii surfing pioneers in the mid-1950s. Vicki goes on to share this beautiful story about her mother's life and how her mother had no limiting beliefs. And if she wanted to try something, she did it, and she went after it. And to even demonstrate and provide evidence of so, Betty was, at one point, a dental hygienist, trained for the Olympics in swimming, was a pilot, became a potter, and a poet, and of course, a surfer. And mind you, she started surfing at 41. So... It's just an inspiring story, and Vicki has wrote a book, of course, based off the life of her mom, called Wave Woman, The Life and Struggles of a Surfing Pioneer, and this book will be available in early April of 2020, so be sure to check out the link in the show notes to grab your copy. I have started to dive into it, and I am funny enough, going to Hawaii pretty soon here, so I figured it would be the perfect book to bring to Hawaii with me. So please enjoy this conversation with myself and Vicky, and also be sure to follow Wave Woman on Instagram at Wave Woman Book. I am so excited today because today we have Vicki Durand with us on the Her Sports Story podcast. And Vicki has an incredible story to share about her mother and her mother's journey from trying all different sports to becoming a top surfer in the midst of a time where you know women's sports were still so much up and coming and I can't wait for Vicki to share her story on how she decided to write this book and when it's going to debut so Vicki thanks so much for being here oh well thank you Bethany it's really a pleasure to be able to share the story with you and your listeners and um I know my mother would be thrilled. Uh, I'm so, I'm so excited. And that, you know, I, I'm excited over here because I know I'm going to learn even more. I've had the opportunity to have 
some insight and some experience with your mother's story, but I know there's so much more to it. So why don't you first kind of tell us about yourself and then what led you to writing this book? All right. Well, um, I, I uh, had the wonderful experience of having probably the best mother in the world. And we surfed together. Uh, we started surfing at Waikiki together. And when I was 15, 15, and we surfed for a couple of years there, and then uh, we ventured out to this other break, which is called Makaha, which is a tough, pretty tough break. And it was one of the early places known for the big waves that, that actually put the big wave surfing in Hawaii on the map before the North, even before the North Shore, Waimea Bay or any of that, it was Makaha. So we, um, went we were out there and was surfing together through the 50s and um, my mother was the makaha was the site of the first surfing competition in hawaii and she was a pioneer surfer out there and i was trailing behind and uh, so we just had a lot of great years out there together surfing and so she took second in 1956, and then I won in 1957, and together we uh, were invited back to Peru. She had gone on the first surfing team and made a lot of friends, and so she told me, if you can win in 1957, I think we can go back to Lima and uh, have a trip and go down there and surf. And so I, I won and then we were invited because the women in, in Lima didn't surf. And there was a club Waikiki, which was started by a Peruvian named Carlos Donier. And they wanted their women to surf. So our job was to go and make surfing look feminine and fun and interest their women. And that was really the experience of a lifetime that we had together so wow i mean there's not i don't know how many mothers and daughters get to do a sport together so that is right so incredibly special and i know that had just a huge impact on you and contributed to you you sharing her story now right right and um, several years uh, after she passed away, I just uh, really started thinking more about her life and our life together. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just thought it was, she lived such an amazing life and she was such a amazing person. She was um, uh, one of the early dental hygienists. She was the second class and dental hygiene out of the University of Southern California. She was a sculptor, she was a jeweler, she was an athlete, she became a fisherwoman, a pilot, a potter, and then lastly, a, a poet. Mm. And um, she had actually um, 
started writing poetry, haiku poetry, when she could not see to create anything else and uh, in her in her 90s. Wow. She lived to be 98 and a half. She wanted to live to be 100. Mm. Uh, but when she couldn't do anything else, rather than just sitting around and being sad and moping and about not having her eyesight, she she said, I can use my brain and I can write poetry. And so she wrote all these haiku poems and she had so so many of them that her her best friend said, we've got to put these in a book. And so after about a year, uh, they put the collection of haiku into a book and I wrote, oh, two to three pages, a general story of her life. And it was Xerox and she sold it. And, and then the next year, book number two was compiled. And after her passing, I just decided that there was so much more to her story that she lived such an inspiring and fascinating life that the story had to be told in a, in a real book. And so that's what I set out to do. And I think uh, I was really uh, inspired by Maya Angelou's quote, uh, you know, that, that said, there's no greater agony than keeping an untold story inside of you. Mm. So not, being the greatest writer, I thought, I'm, I'm going to do this. And so that, that's what I did. And uh, I had a village that, that helped me put this all together. Uh, three editors. My third editor, Con- Constance Hale, was particularly wonderful. And so I had a lot of help. And I think it's ended up with a, a, a great tribute to her and and uh, interesting it has a message so that was why I wrote the book and uh, it's been incredibly hard but I just mm-hmm. haven't looked back for, for a moment uh, to say I wish I didn't do this and mm-hmm. and I think my mother saw no she had no limiting beliefs and uh, she thought whatever she wanted to do she could and I think some of that rubbed off on me. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when I first read, like I would say a very, a summary of her story, I was inspired. And I think this message has such the opportunity to reach so many, like you said, and especially, you know, being on on this podcast and being an athlete or a former athlete, and then when your your sport is done or you've decided to move on to something else, that there's still so much to explore. Like your right. first off, your your mom didn't start surfing till she was forty one. Right, right. Yeah. Ugh, it was just and so inspiring. Yes, and. Uh, what had happened is we actually we were living in Southern California, and um, when mother had a sister that had come to Hawaii in the 30s and married a man, and they lived on the island of Molokai mm. at Kalapapa, which was the leper the leper colony where the Hansen's disease, and he was the superintendent. 
and they'd come to visit us in Chino. We lived out, you know, an hour from the ocean, and and uh, they they I started I bonded with them. They had no children, so they said, "When you're 12 years old, Vicky, we want you to come and spend the summer with us." So. I thought that was a pretty exciting thought. And so when I was 12, my mother put me on the plane by myself. And that was when it took 10 hours to come over here in 1953. And I came over and I spent the summer with them. Uh, They toured me all around the islands. And then we went back to Kalapapa. And I fell in love with Hawaii. And I went back to back home. And I was just really sad. I just moped around and mother said, what's the matter with you? And I said, I just want to go back to Hawaii. (laughs) So she, she, she thought that she better come over here and see what she was missing. So the next summer of 1954, she came over with my sister and, um, and I, I, she sent for me a couple of weeks later because She'd gotten a house that we could house set. And so we spent the summer here and um, fell in love with it. And she had mentioned to a friend of my aunt and uncle had a little social group on Oahu. And so she said that she wanted to try surfing. So they said, go down and look up the beach boy, Charlie Amalu. So she went. we went down to the beach and looked him up and we took a canoe ride. And when the, you're catching waves uh, at Waikiki, there's surfers on all sides of you. And so she said, after we got into the beach, she said, I want a surfing lesson. So then we all went out for a surfing lesson. And um, he, you know, when you're first learning to surf, the beach boys, they, you lay down on the board and they push mm-hmm. you and then they yell, stand up. And so I stood up and hit my and fell off and hit my leg and it really hurt and but she caught her wave and came in and I could just tell by the look on her face that just one wave and she realized that this was the perfect sport for her and she was hooked and that was the beginning of it and she said um, after the end of the summer she said you girls want to move over here and we said yes and so she said, okay, we'll be back here the day after Christmas. And um, she had actually spent some trying years with my father. And I think she was pretty, pretty fed up with him and just waiting, waiting for the right path out of the marriage. But right. so she, and they were, they were manufacturing jewelers and uh-huh. she, uh, she could, she could look at any animal or anything and carve it in miniature so she did all the carving for for the jewelry for the lost wax method so they were really busy during christmas so she said all right the day after christmas we'll be on the plane back and sure enough the day after christmas came and my father drove us to the airport and we (laughs) We moved over here and left him to sell the property and pack all the the equipment up. And I think she was hoping he wouldn't come, but but he did. And uh, mm-hmm. so anyway, that that was the beginning of of surfing. And uh, 
we were lucky enough to, through my aunt and uncle's friends, to to stay in Dad's center. And Dad's center had been the uh, Olympic swimming coach for Duke Hanamoku, and he was a very famous waterman and surfing and canoe paddling. And we stayed in their guest house for six months, and we got to know Dad and Lily and Dad loaned Mother her, her first big redwood board that she surfed on in the beginning, and then she eventually, not too long later, ordered a board from Joe Quigg, and I have all the pictures of all the all of that. And so that started her surfing career at 41. And every every morning before work, after my father did arrive, we then we rented a house on Royal Hawaiian Avenue. She would ride her bike in her bathing suit down to the beach where her locker was and surf for a couple of hours and building her skill and building her strength. And she was always strong, but surfing makes you even stronger. Oh, it's, yeah. uh, can, it's really challenging paddling, paddling through the waves. And even though the waves at Waikiki are not usually not that strong, and particularly compared to Makaha, mm-hmm. you still build up arm and shoulder and, you know, you still build up strength and, and that was what was so great for both of us is it um, it made us really strong, I think, both both physically and also um, I think when you're strong physical physically, you often are strong emotionally too. Yeah. And so it was surfing was uh, just so much fun and we just, it was a wonderful life. And, and, and then later, well, I don't know how, how much, how long you want this story to be, but when she was surfing at Waikiki, she started meeting people. You know, when you're waiting for the waves, you start right. talking to people. And she started talking to this Chinese Hawaiian detective named Jimmy Wong. And he said, oh, Betty, you've got to come out to Makaha and see my house that I built on, on Makaha Beach. And so she... Uh, a few weeks later, we drove out there to visit Jimmy Wong, see Makaha Beach, and she, uh, uh, we went in, in their house and had something to eat and looked around and is on this gorgeous half moon bay of a beach. And, and Jimmy said, come Betty, I want to show you something. And he walked her next door. And there was a for sale sign on the lot right next door. And so um, Lily Center, Dad Center's wife, was in real estate and said, if you ever see a fee simple, most of the land in Hawaii was leased land at that Mm -hmm. time in the 50s, but Mm -hmm. not out on the Leeward Coast. So here was the sign. And Lily, she'd been told, if you ever see fee simple land and you can buy it on the beach, buy it. So she looked at the back at the valley, which Makaha is a gorgeous valley, beautiful mountains, out to the ocean. And she just went to the sign and pulled it out and said, this has to be mine. <laughs> and that was the beginning of our whole Makaha adventure. And then we drove out there every weekend and, and camped and um, surfed. 
slept on the beach or slept on the lot and met all these other surfers. That was when the California surfers started coming over. So I grew up with basically, well, we, we surfed with all the early big name surfers, Peter Cole, Buzzy Trent, Pat Kern. Um, so it was really uh, lots of fun. <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting over here just being fully immersed into your storytelling and I can see it and just what a, what a beautiful, beautiful experience. And I think, especially nowadays when we have, I would say a quicker pace of life and we don't always take the moment, even the simple things, um, into consideration all the time, you know, when we're achieving whatever's next. And to be in a situation that you were with your mom and being on the rise, really, of women in sport and women in surfing, because I imagine compared to the men out, you know, when you were surfing, were there a lot of other women kind of colleagues with you guys? No, no, that was what was so great about it. <laughs> not many <Yeah>. women, <laughs> not many women served. So yeah. we were the, and, and particularly out of Makaha because it was an hour out of Honolulu, and it was it was out in the boonies. It was a, a mm-hmm. an agri- little agricultural town of farms mainly, um, and and you know, no city lights out there at all. So we made big fires on the beach every night. And it was a, it was a simple, a simple, but a really fun life. And then my friends from high school that served, um, I only had one uh, woman girlfriend and the rest were all boys and they'd come out and camp out. And we, it was, you know, just a, a really great time. And and um, I've gone back and gotten them to write a recall of it too, and it was a great time for them too. In fact, they most of them said, "I wish your mother was our mother. Yeah. <laughs> we want your mother." Yeah, she was. Yeah, so cool. I mean, from from hearing you talk about her to to reading about her, she, you know, I think when we first hopped on. The call we had a conversation about how your mother just had this like spirit about her that and people were attracted to her and I'm interested in what you think why you think that is do you think it was her you know story of let's say from her childhood to eventually getting to Hawaii and all the experiences that she had maybe in between that made her that person um that just had something about her uh yeah she was um well she'd had an interesting growing up mm-hmm. uh, time in salt lake her 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 parents her father was a mining engineer and did did very well and they lived you know they were they were living a life of luxury until the depression. And then 
one day that he lost everything and they came and took all their furniture and they lost their house and she had to go to to boarding school and uh i think this uh this abrupt change uh made made her she she was accepting she was practical she just went off to boarding school with her sisters i guess they'd saved enough money and it was like four months until they were they graduated so they had enough money to get them through high school and uh and so she you know she went the three girls went off to boarding school the parents went to santa monica and uh she just made the best of the situation she got into her studies and her sports and Mm -hmm. she looked forward to graduation and uh that that whole experience of having something just you know a life of luxury ripped away from you at age 15 made her very careful with money she never overspent she paid cash she never used a credit card unless she could pay it in 30 days and Mm -hmm. she never wasted anything she was a conservationist with water and electricity and and everything that it's it's I don't know. She was just very uh, unique. She, she, uh, you know, she really had a sort of a strong belief in herself. And I think uh, her, her, her grandparents had done such amazing things. I mean, her, her great grandfather was 73 years old when he left England on a ship for, America was a promise of a better life and mm-hmm. I think they were strong they were strong-willed people but, but but talented you know they were printers and metal artists and 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 so she didn't have any limiting beliefs she just uh, uh, she just believed that whatever she could do like she um, after she got tired of being a dental hygienist later in life, she decided that she'd start her own dental lab. Mm. And she didn't know much about um, that. She had amazing manual dexterity uh, from age three, but she uh, took classes and set up, set up a lab at Makaha and learned the business and started making porcelain jackets and crowns and and she was you know off and running in a new business (laughs) it's so impressive and like you said she didn't have the limiting beliefs or she didn't place any limits on herself which I think you know sometimes we do and as as former athletes or or like your your mom who probably surfed for good chunk of time I imagine but then eventually had to move on from surfing but found that right. passion and and tried it without fear of like well I shouldn't try it because I maybe won't be good at it but trying things right. because because it was interesting because it felt good because she felt like it would be enjoyable to her right and she was she was curious. Uh, she was a lifelong learner too. But um, 
like when she was just out of dental college working as a hygienist in Los Angeles, she met somebody that, um, oh, I don't know, she started taking flying lessons. And so she got her pilot, her student pilot's license. And at the same time, she had been training for, um, for the 1936 Olympics. She was, uh, well, backing up when she left Salt Lake, they went down to Santa Monica and she started uh, swimming uh, in rough water swims and competing. Uh, and so some people saw her and said, you know, you really, you're really a good swimmer, a strong swimmer. And you ought to go up to um, this club and start, start swim training and the uplifters club in Santa Monica. So she did that. And then somebody saw her there, a coach and said, no, go to the LA athletic club. And so she ended up going to the LA athletic club and she was, training for the 1936 Olympics in Berlin wow. and her her coach her coach was killed in an accident really suddenly but mm-hmm. she kept training and then she was taking flying lessons and so after eight hours she went to the flying field and saw them flying gliders this man named Gus Briglib was one of the early glider designers and so she talked them into letting her go up in this glider after only eight hours of flying instructions in a Waco plane, not even a glider. Wow. And she ended up crashing the glider from 65 feet straight down to the ground and oh. only, only broke her leg amazingly. And that, that ended the, you know, the, the Olympic dreams of swimming but that kind of stuff <laughs> was, was what well, yeah. she did through her, through her through her whole life wow it's just yeah it's just a complete testament that there's there's no there's no barriers if there's something that you you wanted yeah. to do it and she is an inspiring such an inspiring example of that and everything, you know, it's funny to kind of piece together her story from, you know, childhood to everything she went through there to becoming uh, basically a, an Olympic level swimmer to a pilot uh, to a dental hygienist to, you know, yeah. being a mom and then becoming a world class surfer. <laughs> so it's just. <laughs> It's so, so neat to kind of see her, her journey. And I am very excited to read the book and and capture this full picture of her life, because I imagine with you writing it there, there's so much heart and soul that you poured into this, um, that I bet you are just excited for people to have the exposure to her story. Yes. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's always her, her lifelong motto was, you know, when one door closes, you move on to open another one. Yeah, and you, you don't wait for other people to make things happen for you. You, you make it happen yourself. And uh, 
she was really the pilot of her of her own ship and uh she was a calculated risk taker but willing to work for what she wanted and to believe that it was never too late to to follow a dream and uh, and she actually ended up leaving my father like this mm-hmm. this was really good like when my halfway through my senior year I came home one day and she said um I want to ask you something and so come on into the kitchen she so I went in she said you know I've been married to your father for 22 years and I do not want to be married to him anymore but do you care if I get a divorce and I said no I don't care and so in three two or three weeks she was out of there and uh, she went out to Makaha she got the the lot Mm-hmm. That she she claimed a lot, and she moved into a rusty old Quonset hut right next door that uh, was used for fishing on the weekends. And she uh, and we uh, we were still in school, which was an hour away from out there. We tried to commute as much as possible, but and she lived in this in this uh, Quonset with only cold water and. Uh, an outdoor bathroom and re- really rustic until she built and she built herself a house <laughs> and she would surf in the morning and uh, she got a bought a prefab Lindell theater home and put it up oh, and she lived she lived there for over 60 years uh, the rest of her life and it was it was an area that not many um, it was mostly local out there, not mm-hmm. not many. Do you know the word Howley? Yes. <laughs> oh. Yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Not not many Howleys were out there, but right. she didn't care. You know, she knew that she wanted to surf and she wanted to be own a piece of you know the most beautiful beach in the world, and that was it. She wow. she claimed it and she made it work and. Uh, so, and then we all ended up coming back later in years. I came back from California um, after graduate school late. I've gone to graduate school late in life and came back and lived out there and spent the last 20 years with her and wow. taught at the local high school, which was a Title I high school. And it's, it's still a pretty rough, rough place. And for many years, uh, they told tourists not to go out there and it it's the wild west of oahu mm. <laughs> it's it's uh it's, it's interesting and it's beautiful and it's the people are wonderful but there's a lot of a lot of uh i don't know it's not for everybody right. to say that but yeah. but we loved it it's a, uh. it's it's an incredibly gorgeous place and so wow and it yeah my sister and i still have the house and the property oh wow yeah so so anyway and she was uh you know writing and thinking and composing haikus to to the very last to the very last minute 
So yeah, she was a creator. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one of our last conversations, it was, you know, thinking back on her life and it was all the work and the create, you know, not the trips, not any, uh, she remarried a man and they traveled and, um, but it was not the hotels or the trips or anything like that, that she remembered as the best part of her life. It was, it was the creating, creating, like she made a, a line of Menahuni charms and, and it was all the creative projects that, that she recounted as the best part of her life. Wow. I thought that was interesting. It is. It yeah. really is. And I think there's a, there's a part of your heart and soul that, that definitely lights up when you do create something and you're in this, this element. And so I, obviously that, that rings true with her. But with your, your mother and her, all the experiences <laughs> she went through, what do you think or what type of advice do you think she would share with up-and-coming women of today? Of today, I, I would say she always said, you know, get an education or a profession so that you can be independent financially so you don't have to depend on anybody. Be the best you can. Mm -hmm. uh, don't let anyone stop you from following a dream and it's never too late to follow a dream and and she wanted people to believe in themselves um, and not and, and not be in doubt about what they can do just you know believe believe that you can do it and do it empower yourself and and do what you want to do mm. don't let anybody stop you yeah, I would say that, that keep and learn and and you know she the love of learning and searching and the curiosity about life. I mean, she knew everything. She listened to Science Friday. She knew everything that was happening politically. That <laughs> she she was like very interesting to to talk to. You know. Um, because she was just alive to to right. till the very end until she wasn't and uh, and she would another thing as far as sports she loved to arm wrestle so she was actually challenging men at parties and arm wrestling until she was into her seventies. Wow, that's <laughs> incredible! <laughs> and showing her muscle. Yes, <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Well. I, I'm so excited for this book to debut. Yeah. And the the title is Wave Woman, The Life and Struggles of a Surfing Pioneer. And it's going to debut in April of 2020, right? Right, right. Oh. It can be ordered, it can be pre-ordered on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And there is a website, wavewomanbook.com, which uh, will have some videos of her. Uh, she also won an essay contest in her 90s that's on the um, 
and was presented at the women eighth annual women's leadership conference here in Honolulu. Wow. And all of that is um on the website or going to be on the the website. We're we're working on two short videos right now of her reading the haiku the haiku, some of the mm-hmm. haiku poems. Mm-hmm. Uh, in an interview out on the porch at Makaha. And um, yeah, so wavewomenbook.com <laughs> brings, brings her, bringing her back to life. It's oh, so neat. So neat. And I want to thank you for taking the time to share, you know, a little bit of Betty's story with us today. Uh, Oh, Bethany, it's a it's a pleasure and a joy, and I'll look forward to hearing the podcast and and sharing this with everybody. Mm-hmm.